All right, let's crank it up, y'all. It's the Sacred Fire of Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Jonathan E. Moore joining us. And it's the, I think, the about the closest show. We're sort of equidistant around the Independence Day holiday coming up on Monday. So uh, I've got to acknowledge uh, what the true meaning of the and the spirit of Independence Day. It's not the date July 4th so much as what it represents because it happened on that day. What is it? We'll get to it. And then, of course, the news of the day. And there's a lot of it. Thanks, y'all, for being here. Share the show. RobertScottBell.com slash listen. Sign up for email alerts by texting RSB to 22828. And let's get this sacred fire of liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show started now. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The spirit of health, freedom, and healing liberty, and the spirit of liberty. It just, I, you know, you can tell it oozes from my pores. And probably, yeah, Jonathan E. Moore's too. We are closing it on, well, that date. I'd like to say famous, not infamous, right? That date of an infamy. No, a date that shook the world. The Declaration of Independence that preceded the dawning of these United States of America that set up to their posterity, our founders, a government that would be restricted in its activity to maximize the freedom of those in that country, in this country. Because it acknowledged for the first time in history that rights come from God, not a king or a queen, a creator, and that the people were sovereign and the government would then be subject to the people and then subsequently the states that were eventually, uh, let's say, made manifest in these political subdivisions. Now, we've gone so far, we strayed so far from that that we have to always come back to these remedial basic discussions and Jonathan's always game because he knows this history so well, including how we lost it, where we lost it and how to regain it. And so as we crank up today's sacred fire, Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell show, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you to my brother, Jonathan E. Mord for being on this journey with me at this time in history, a time for, well, such as these you were made for Jonathan, my brother. Well, thank you, Robert. It's been good to spend so many years. You and I have been doing this together, I think, for over seven years. Uh, and it has been a constant uh, in our discussions that we fight to restore the liberties that were central to the Constitution and to the Declaration of Independence. People need to understand that the Declaration of Independence is a extraordinary event in the history of the world. It is one of the most remarkable things. It was understood by Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, to be an extraordinary event at the time it occurred. It's the first time in the history of the world in which a government was created for the purpose of protecting the rights of the governed mm -hmm. and making them sovereign and making the state the servant of the people. It, is, it has never before that period in 1776, July 4th, when the publication took place, July 2nd, when the Continental Congress, the Second Continental Congress adopted the declaration, adopted the separation from England, our Declaration of Independence. Um, it's ne never before that time in the history of the world had there ever been a government based on uh, individual sovereignty and rights. So this is a landmark achievement in the history of the world. It also brought with it more freedom than had ever been experienced by people anywhere in the world 
freedom from government restraint, freedom from the exercise of civil and uh, 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 power to restrain people in their occupations, in their livelihoods. It was an amazing achievement. And it, it is underscored by the fact that, as Jefferson pointed out, the ball of liberty, he said, uh, has, has gone around the world. And he said, we can take pride in the fact that we started it here first. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a paraphrase of what he said. But uh, it, it was so remarkable that even uh, foreign people who were here uh, who had a long understanding of the American cause, many in England, but also the Marquis de Lafayette mm-hmm. from France, who fought as an aide uh, to George Washington throughout the Revolutionary War. The Marquis de Lafayette was an aristocrat in France. He was only 19 years old. Mm-hmm. He was inspired by this cause of liberty, of individual rights. He understood the rights of man. He had read quite uh, a bit about individual rights coming out of the Enlightenment publications, not least of which is John Locke's Second Treatise on Government, which is a foundation for American, uh, our American Republic. Um, and so he wanted to be a part of the cause of the fight for liberty that had happened. And he understood the odds. He understood that it was almost impossible for a country comprised of people untrained to defeat this uh, the, one of the world's greatest powers, Great Britain, and its sophisticated government-trained military. And yet he came here, and without pay, he served as a major general commissioned such by the Second Continental Congress and fought throughout the war, getting injured in the Battle of Brandywine in the leg and continued on, instrumental in us getting the, the support of the French, uh, for uh, our, our fight. In, they were indispensable to our victory. And then also, uh, he, he was absolutely dedicated to the principles of liberty, so much so that, I mean, I can, this is what he wrote in 1835. I have always loved liberty with the enthusiasm which actuates the religious man on the pa- or, and, and the passion of a lover and with a conviction of a geometrician. He wrote that. He, he, he said, um, the republicanism is the sovereignty of the people. There are natural and imprescriptible rights which an entire nation has no right to violate. And then what he said after the victory at Yorktown, and he was there with Washington, he said, humanity has won its battle. Liberty now has a country. (laughs) And that's profound. It is I get true. I get chills you reading that and saying it, Jonathan, at this Liberty point. Liberty has a country here. Liberty has a country here. And this was uh, you know, one of the most remarkable things. In 18, from eight, August of 1824 to September of 1825, James Monroe, who was an aide to the Marquis de Lafayette in the Revolutionary War, invited this great man back to America for a farewell tour. And there were 23 states in the Union at that time. And he visited every state and throngs of people, tens of thousands of people greeted him. And uh, he was beloved because of his sacrifice for the American cause. He was made an honorary American citizen. When he was buried, they they took earth from Bunker Hill and poured it on top of his uh, uh, grave in France, in Paris. Hmm. um, But on this tour, 
he came into the city of Philadelphia and he exited his his coach and he was greeted by all these revolutionary war soldiers who were so grateful for what he had done and they were hugging and kissing him and he went into the uh what was then the Pennsylvania <clears throat> state hall uh and uh he gave this speech and in that speech he he emphasized that liberty began here here in Philadelphia, here in the State Hall. This is where the Second Continental Congress was. And he said in his speech, within these sacred walls by a council of wise and devoted patriots and in a style worthy of the deed itself was boldly declared the independence of these vast United States, which has begun for the civilized world, the era of a new and of the only true social order founded on the unalienable rights of man. Hmm. It was because of his speech and because he emphasized that this is a sacred place. It had got, fallen into dilapidation. The city wanted to sell it. They also wanted to sell the Liberty Bell. They didn't see any justification for keeping it. Congress no longer uh, resided in the state house. They were now in Washington, D.C. And so he said, no, no, this is a sacred place. This inspired the commissioners of the city to uh, renovate the building and make it into a monument, which, which became Independence Hall, and then to also take the Liberty Bell and preserve it and to make sure it was available. Um, but the point is uh, uh, that we have a great country. We've heard all this criticism of the United States and of our his history and of our founding. We should love this country. This is the greatest nation on earth. This is the only place in the world in which individual liberty was made the centerpiece and was made to be the mm. most important thing for government. Everywhere mm. else in the world, people serve the government. In the United States, as properly understood, the government serves us. Jonathan, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the recent events, of course, that we've covered as well in the last couple of years of governments through public health agencies and states of emergency trying to usurp the freedom, the individual liberty that is, you know, born with us within us. I mean, it comes with us when we're born and see countries around the world like our neighbor to the north in Canada, particularly where their prime minister says, you know, you have to do what we tell you to do. No exceptions. And your rights don't come from a creator. They come from us. We grant them. We take them away, including recently uh, with Trudeau says you don't have a right to defend your life with a firearm, with a gun, interestingly enough. And I, I bring that up as a contemporary example of a distinction, even though we might look around the world and say Canada's pretty free. Right. We don't look at it as a, an overt tyranny per se. And I've been to Canada many times. The people are wonderful. But we found out that in the midst of an quote unquote emergency that they are not as free as they might have felt they were before that moment. Now, that's not to say our people in our government, elected and unelected bureaucrats, have attempted to act as if the government has ownership and control of us and our children. But that is also on us. That doesn't happen by accident. Our founders warned us that if we ever went to sleep on liberty and to recognize that governments by their very nature and men when they get in them, find if they're unbridled, unbound by something that limits them, that they would inevitably become tyrannical so that a lot of the Declaration of Independence understood that and even set course for should this happen again, 
what would be prescribed. And again, this is a, a difficult thing because if we speak about that, suddenly we are branded as potential domestic terrorists for acknowledging the foundational document of these United States. Yes. And it, it, it's striking to me, you know, Ronald Reagan was quite an extraordinary man and president. And he made remarks on October 20th, 1981, at the bicentennial observance of the British surrender at Yorktown. And they are so telling and have such importance today. He said, let us remember our forebears 200 years ago, the price they were willing to pay for liberty and rededicate ourselves to the principles of our revolution. Let the struggle that took place at Yorktown remind us all the freedom we enjoy today has not always existed and carries no guarantee. And he said, we can look to our past with pride and our future can be, be whatever we make it. We only have to act worthy of ourselves. God bless America. Mm. Uh, you know, he was great and he understood what America means. We all should understand what America means. We're on the birthday of the greatest revolution in the history of the world. If you are a person who believes in freedom, if you understand as you should that it is our birthright from God, that it is our natural condition, no one wants to be a slave. No one wants to be a slave to another person. No one wants to be a slave to a state. We all yearn to be free. And because of that, this miracle hmm. that took place in 1776, this brilliant write, writing by Thomas Jefferson on his portable writing desk that he had at the Graph House and 7th and Market Streets in, in Philadelphia when he dashed off the declaration. Hmm. And in that course of one week's time, uh, he dashed off the declaration. There, was, there were many edits that were given by the Second Continental Congress, but the meaning of Jefferson was largely preserved. And that second paragraph, but for a few changes, remains Jefferson's language. Benjamin Franklin changed the language to self-evident truths. Brilliant addition, brilliant change by, by Franklin. And, uh, but that is the definition of America, that second paragraph. That is who we are encapsulated in some of the most brilliant language, 55 words in the English language that sums up the essence of the greatest nation that has ever existed in the history of the world, all because it trusted hmm. profoundly in the individual to be free and to pursue their own industry and pursuits unencumbered. It's shocking to uh, liberals of today and to Biden by nature, to think that people without being directed by government can do any good. They start with the supposition that we must be slaves to the state, that the only way we can do good as, as they see it, which they think is more important than anything else. Yeah, it's to obey them. Is to obey them. Yeah. And of course, they miss that that's slavery. They miss mm -hmm. that that is the antithesis of what the founding fathers created for America and what is the mm -hmm. key to American greatness. Biden's oblivious to the fact that our greatness is our freedom. He thinks that we aren't great, weren't great, never have been great, and only can become great if we do exactly what he wants us yeah. to do. 
with his small pea brain, barely able to drive a bicycle, he assumes that from out of that small creation that he was unfortunately given by his creator, that he can presume to tell all of us how we must live. Jonathan, that's the risk we're living through right now, that we could be deceived and duped or drugged out of our um, reality, if you will, as free beings created of God or creator to live a life of abundance and creativity and to worship as we see fit to not be ruled over by the government or prohibited from that worship by government, as we've seen under the, the so-called COVID emergency and to have a president, some say selected, some say elected, but in present right now, that is so far removed from what we're discussing about the dawn of and the origin point of what would become the United States of America, that it, it tells me that it is possible to lose it. And I have, to, you know, this is a sobering moment as we talk about this independence day coming up and we're, you know, closing, I'm thinking about, uh, 2026 is not long from now 250 years from that faithful day of the change on the planet i'm talking about a revolution that had never occurred before in recorded history where the people gained that direct connection that acknowledged it but that established a government that would protect it rather than run roughshod over it and so we have many people in america and many people in government in various levels that know nothing of what we speak literally know nothing other than the date, time, and place, but don't know the historical significance or the fact that rights come from a creator, not government. And that is, at the very least, concerning, very alarming, what we've witnessed in terms of the movement away from it. Although the good news, I think, Jonathan, is that when we are made uncomfortable enough in a loss of freedom that we may not have appreciated, may have taken for granted in our lifetime, that only then we are willing to stand up Right. And go back and get it, reclaim it and defend it. And so these things may be necessary as what Jefferson had said, the tree of liberty must be watered. How is it by the blood of tyrants occasionally? Now, can it be done without bloodshed? Sure it can, but it's a choice that in history not often has been made in that way. So we still have the possibility, do we not? And the greatest of what's so remarkable is that this is a wonderful story that passes through all ages and really is our key to greatness. It's as, it's as if we found a uh, an everlasting vehicle by which we can always recur to achieve greatness in the declarations promised in the second paragraph. And our greatest presidents have understood this. Our greatest leaders have understood this. Our greatest leaders today understand that. Uh, and what's so remarkable to me uh, few would doubt that Abraham Lincoln was uh, one of the greatest orators and spokespeople in American history. Few would doubt that Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the greatest orators, one of the greatest rhetoricians in the history of the world. And both of them shared in common a reverence for the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And both of them infused their love of the Constitution and the Declaration with words that were drawn from uh, scriptures, as is the inscription on the on the uh, Liberty Bell from Leviticus. So we find, for example, Abraham Lincoln put it this way. He said, Jefferson offered the world an abstract truth applicable to all uh, men and all times. And so to embalm it there, that today and in all coming days, it shall be a rebuke of a stumbling block to the very harbingers 
of reappearing tyranny and oppression. That's what the Declaration of Independence is. It is a stumbling block to tyranny. It is a, it is a means by which the world resorts to understand what rights mean, what freedom means, and what government uh, can be uh, just and what government is uh, un when government is unjust. And it, it's so remarkable that something that was written by those precious few people, a committee of five, Jefferson was given the role of writing it because Adam said that uh, he thought only Jefferson could write with that degree of eloquence. And Jefferson wrote it, and the other members of the committee picked at it slightly, but then they turned it over to the Continental Congress, and they did some editing to it. Uh, Jefferson was unjustly condemned and has been for being a slave owner. But what they don't seem to understand was Jefferson was always willing to manumit his slaves if it could have been done in a way that would be just by a political means. And so in the declaration itself, he had a 168 word paragraph in which he condemned the institution of slavery as a violation of the rights of man. In the same, uh, uh, par you know, same writing, as he included the second paragraph of the declaration in which he said that all men are created equal, he plainly intended that to be, to reach people of regardless of race and regardless of gender. Mm. And that's clear in the second, in that 168 word paragraph, when he says people from a distant land were, were captured and forced into this continent by this, by the, the, the acts of this King, King George III. Mm -hmm. And that, that that violated their unalienable rights. Mm -hmm. And that 168 word paragraph was stricken from the declaration uh, by South Carolina and Georgia, delegates from South Carolina and Georgia, because they did not think that the, the slave owning population, which they depended upon right. to support the revolution, would support the declaration and what it all meant. Would, would support yeah. a revolution if, yeah. it, if it meant the total destruction of their livelihoods. So it took a civil war to achieve that end. And the point is that we went through that civil war. We had a radical Republican Congress, as they were called, uh, that drafted the 13th Amendment and that passed the 13th Amendment ending slavery. These are achievements. It's not that liberty can be fully uh, in full growth at one instant, and that if it's not, everyone's to be condemned to right. rock yeah. the plant of liberty to the Look, soil. You've said this, and we've said this, if we are condemned by one act that we made in our immaturity, no one would ever be able to achieve a thing. We would all be, you know, trapped or imprisoned like in Jefferson, something. Yeah. You know, Jefferson, Washington, Madison, Franklin, all of them hated the institution of slavery. All of them knew it was unjust and all of them wanted to end it. That's important. Now, the fact that they are slave owners, that's unfortunate. Yes, it's a sin. Oh, of course. But the fact that they were, even as slave owners, willing to end the institution by acts of law and put their full force behind the idea of doing so mm -hmm. is commendable. And in any event, they planted the seed of liberty that gave birth to a, a second war and gave birth to a end through the 13th mm -hmm. Amendment of the institution of slavery. They well, should be applauded for doing that. And you, yeah. as you point out, I mean, if we took one sin, if we said 
no one may be uh, given cre cre credit for being a person of value if they committed even one sin. Yeah. Because nope. that makes them corrupt. It would well, stop everything. Yeah. We we are all sinners, and there right. would be no end. No one would ever be given cred credence. But instead, they 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 propound a false history of the United States, like Biden has done on guns, yeah. like Hochul has done in, on guns. Well, this is references your article here. We have linked up in the show notes today. Uh, it's in town hall. Leftists like Biden and Hochul uh, get history so wrong intentionally. And, and, you know, Jonathan, as we look back at history, too, in terms of even the, the Civil War, I, li I, I like to detail, you know, the historical perspectives that are not common or popular in a sense and say that, yeah, around the world, there were places that slavery just stopped without warfare, that we could say that there were also economic wars associated with the North versus the South that, you know, kind of perpetrated slavery, unfair uh, trade scenarios. And so we look at the freedom issue that in freedom and innovation, we could overcome those things, perhaps even without bloodshed and war. But we recognize that the history of the world is rife with the spilling of blood for either conquest or in this case, the most unique case, I think, in history for the establishment of a government that would defend liberty, not attack it, destroy it of its people. So that, again, is the, so, such a significant, I say, spiritual event on this planet like nothing else uh, in history that we know of regarding government and the intelligence of those who established this because they knew of that history that so few people, including Biden and Hochul, uh, have a clue about. Yeah, it's a disgrace that those who are in those positions are not fully understanding of history, of their own history. It's shocking and it's deplorable. And when they profess to speak about what happened in history and are ignorant at the same time, that's a real problem. But what's worse is when they double down and triple down in favor of the false narrative. Here you have Joe Biden who's made that comment about cannons not being uh, uh, lawful in 1791 over and over and over and over again, long past the time that he has been called out for the falsehood because it just doesn't fit his narrative. He wants to be able to say that regulation of firearms has always been a mainstay of, of America yeah. and that the Second Amendment is, is not absolute, whatever that means. And so he, he uses false history. I mean, that's what he does. It's because he's stupid. He doesn't want to debate on the merits. If you debate on the merits, you accept the facts as they are, and then you argue analytically from them to your point. He can't do that. His brain does not function. So when it comes to Hochul, it's a convenience. She does not want to engage a serious debate. She wants to be a demagogue. And so what she does is in, on her part, she said, oh, if we limit the Second Amendment to what it protected in 1791, then go ahead, mm -hmm. uh, police and private citizens, you'll own a musket. Well, what she doesn't understand is that the term arms in the Second Amendment is not synonymous with muskets. It includes muskets, but it's not exclusively muskets. There were muskets, there were rifles, there were pistols, there were sabers, there were broadswords, there were hand grenades. All of those were understood to be arms. And furthermore, a musket could be shot every five to 10 seconds. A musket was not a weapon that you would spend all day long <clears throat> loading, preparing, and would fire one shot that would be ineffective like a weak hose. Mm -hmm. A musket 
within 100 yards could be a lethal weapon and it could be lethal for, for repeated firing every five to 10 seconds. And they would carry a, uh, a box on their, on their belt that included 30 rounds mm -hmm. and they would fire one round after another round after another round. In fact, in upstate New York as the part of the battle of Saratoga, uh, there were uh, of, of se roughly 700 militia, the British firing only muskets leveled 35 of the 700 mur killed them hmm. uh, in, in firing skillfully with muskets. So this idea that somehow muskets aren't lethal weapons or can't reliably kill people. No, no. The founding fathers understood lethal weapons to be arms. And they understood and the purpose of the Second Amendment is to ensure that you can protect yourself and a free state. And a free state was defined as a state that protected life, liberty and property. Mm -hmm. And you are entitled to defend your lives, your liberty and your property with arms. And and that understanding uh, leads you to the conclusion that you must, in order to have an effective right, be able to arm yourself with weapons that are sufficient to meet the challenge. Otherwise, you know, if you have a, if I, if I'm forced, if I'm limited by their laws to address you with a toothpick when you have an AK, illegally have an AK-47 or an AR-15, I mean, who's mm -hmm. going to win that fight? And is that self-defense? No. no. Uh, what is self-defense is if you come at me with an AK-47 or AR-15, I should be able to use the same in response to you. Yep. Level that playing field. And Jonathan, we have heard from folks around the world in various countries around the world where they've lost that right or privilege in some cases because they didn't have a, a, a written constitution that acknowledges much less a declaration that acknowledges rights come from a creator, not government. But places like Australia and New Zealand and Canada uh, and uh, England to some degree as well, where they don't have that right to keep and bear arms, they've all said in witnessing what happened under COVID, there was no way to intimidate or fight back against government when they grabbed you, renditioned you, if you will, to a COVID camp, like happened in Australia, for instance. And that was an acknowledgement that that Second Amendment wasn't necessarily written to defend against foreign enemies, but domestic ones as well. And that's something that even though it's a controversial topic for some to hear that, people from around the world are telling Americans, do not give up your arms. This is what happened here when we did. And so it is something that, as we talk about, appreciated by those who acknowledge and recognize now, maybe later than sooner, that this event we're discussing today about 1776, July 4th, the Declaration of Independence that set this stage for a country and a government that had never before existed. And again, this is uh, something that I, I, I could do this every day with you, <laughs> you know, that I know when we hang out or wherever you are, when we're together at like at the Health Freedom Expo, as I've told you so many times before, when you speak, I just close my eyes and I'm transported back to that time when, you know, the, the battles for, for liberty were very overt in our face right now. They're a bit, they become sort of subtle, but at the same time, they're, they're reemerging is very real to you know, the question of which direction do we go as a future in, the, in these United States. In fact, there's an article here about, and, and shout out to the Health Freedom Expo, Trinity School of Natural Health as well for supporting this message of health freedom and healing liberty. They do not shy away from that. These discussions occur at the Health Freedom Expo every year. And Jonathan, you'll be there and I'll be there and, and many of our friends will be there to do it again coming up in October at 15th and 16th. 
But this next article out of NBC News is talking about a, another war between the states coming over abortion. And I was reviewing this. I was like, wait a second. What, why would there be a war between the states? It's like we knew that what happens with Roe being overturned, it would turn back the regulation of something like this or prohibition of it back to the states. Are they intimating that states will declare war on other states because some will and some will not allow abortions? What do you what do you sense they're trying to get at here? They're trying to inflame passion uh, because they believe that there ought to be a uh, struggle for the survival of the nation because they didn't get what they wanted. There's a, a really sad um, and immature aspect of the far left, which is that when they don't get what they want, they instead turn to burning down the institutions that didn't give them what they want, rather than respecting the institutions and uh, respecting the rule of law. They only use the rule of law and these institutions so long as they get what they want. They're, they're end-oriented. They have no respect for means. The founding fathers were the opposite. The founding fathers said, we want freedom, yes, but in order to achieve freedom, we have to respect that we must limit power and create institutions where the rule of law constrains the exercise of power so that no government will deprive us of our liberty. And they uh, believed in that judicial process and the rule of law so long as it abided by the founding principles. What's unfortunate about Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the far left of the Democratic Party is that they don't respect the Constitution. They don't respect the rule of law. They're willing to have people uh, burn down uh, clinics that supply advice to pregnant women on how to, how to get along and how to have a child rather than abort. They're willing to tolerate that and condone it. They're willing to not have the Justice Department send the FBI in to investigate or not have police go after them. They're willing to have violence like that and crimes like that go on without condemning it, without Nancy Pelosi ever uttering a single word of condemnation against the specific acts of violence that have taken place, even though that is justly what she should do if she's upholding her oath to support the laws of the United States. Furthermore, you, 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 know, you don't see any statement like that from Joe Biden. You don't see any statement like that from Chuck Schumer. In fact, you hear incendiary words from Schumer and from other members of the Democrat Party. This is a disgrace. We should all be respectful of the rule of law, even if we don't like the law. The fact of the matter is, if it has gone through this process, the Supreme Court has decided it, it is the law. Now, we can disagree with it. We can argue against it. We can stand for the opposite, but you don't go burn down someone's property because you're upset with the decision mm -hmm. of the Supreme Court. You don't go hurt your neighbor. You don't I, go I think, uh, murder someone because you're upset right. with the decision of the Supreme Court. You don't create a new injustice for the injustice you say you suffered. And furthermore, uh, as you're pointing out, this civil war idea based mm -hmm. on the abortion decision is ridiculous because the court didn't make abortion illegal. The court said that each state has the power right. to decide and that it doesn't arise under the Constitution. That is a creation of choice. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were before fighting against uh, the pro-life movement, as they were, 
well, why don't you go fight against the pro-life movement in the states? It's simply a transference of your struggle. You're not adding, you're not having a new struggle. You're struggling in the same manner that you always have. Right. And so this whole idea, I think what's going to happen is this is going to fade into the background. I think by November when people vote, the primary issues are going to be the issues that we see primary today, which is mm -hmm. the economy, inflation, uh, and crime are going to be the top issues because those yeah. are the that, and then uh, immigration uh, after that. And then way down the list will be abortion. And it will inspire mm -hmm. the votes, I think, of a very star uh, uh, strong minority, yeah. but not anything more than that. By the way, the you know, nuances of, of that idea, if the Supreme Court said, um, you know, something or, or, or created law or uh, interpreted law in such a way that uh, I would disagree. You know, I, I feel like, oh, how do I say this? disobedience to unjust laws is obedience to God. And, and it doesn't mean I'm going to go now kill people that I disagree with or bomb the spring. You know, that's not the point is that one of the most powerful things you can do is not comply or consent to laws that you sincerely believe are patently blatantly unconstitutional or violate your fundamental freedom of religion and belief and conscience. Right. Uh, and, and, and yet, you know, that there are maybe consequences like, you know, um, Rosa Parks not getting in the back of the bus or consequences to her actions, but she also lit a fire that changed and transformed for good, for the better. A lot of what happened in the United States of America during the civil rights era and the struggles that uh, we were going through as a nation then as well. That when any, this is Jefferson in the second paragraph of the declaration, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, meaning those unalienable rights we talked about, mm -hmm. it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. And that's that. this is as much a part of our magnificent heritage. Mm -hmm. And so it was that Rosa Parks refused to sit in the back of the bus. And so it was that many uh, protesters refused to uh, be kicked out of, of white dining areas and refused to get off white transportation. And in the Brown, in the, the Plessy versus Ferguson case, refused to leave the car that was for whites only in the train. These are acts of disobedience and they are acts that are calculated against the government authority. But burning someone's house down, burning their business down, murdering people, destroying private property, stealing private property are all new offenses against innocent individuals. Mm -hmm. They are not protests against the state. We have a right under the First Amendment to protest laws we think are unjust. And we can form political parties and we can amend the Constitution. And we can refuse to abide by unjust laws individually 
and suffer the consequences as Martin Luther King did mm -hmm. and the others in the civil rights movement. And that is, I think, just and appropriate. And I think Thomas Jefferson agreed in the second paragraph of the Declaration. Well, I love again, I love being able to discuss this with you to give people a depth of understanding about the distinctions and differences between the ways to go about uh, transformation and change and also the historical precedents that already exist. This is not new. The ways to make changes, they can be done peacefully. Yes, they can be harsh and difficult to get through those times as we transition. But then you've got people like uh, AOC and Elizabeth Warren saying, hey, maybe we can just conduct abortions on federal land to counteract that. So you'll go into the states that have federal land that, that the feds claim dominion over and have abortions, even though those states say not allowed here. I mean, these people are deranged to kind of go to that extreme level and go, oh, we're just going to hold on to the abortion thing. We'll, we'll show them. We'll go in their states on federal property and do it anyway. Yeah, they have so little respect for the Constitution, in fact, none. And the reason, you know, AOC is, by her own admission, a Democrat socialist. She describes herself as a socialist. And a socialist cannot be a member of Congress under the Constitution. The oath of office you swear to be a member of Congress requires you to uphold the Constitution, which is antithetical to socialism. Tell Bernie so, Sanders uh, that, too. When Bernie Sanders and AOC start off right off the bat and say, I am a socialist, mm -hmm. they are saying, I do not support the Constitution of the United States. When they swear their oath of office, they lie. Yeah, they're unqualified to serve. And they're unqualified to serve. And they should not be allowed to sit in Congress because of that. Mm -hmm. And someday when right, when right is finally reestablished in its full, they won't be. Yeah. All right. We got another article here I wanted to ask you about because the Supreme Court's still in session. And boy, this has been a profound uh, uh, Supreme Court. Like in our lifetime, I'm going this to do Supreme Court we have ever seen in the sense that this Supreme Court has stood up for its role as, as defined by Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers of being guardians of the Constitution. They are being the quintessential guardians of the Constitution, doing it against tremendous pressure. Oh, yeah, obstacle and everything. Of, and of assassination of Justice Kavanaugh, protests just down the road where uh, Justice Thomas lives, mm -hmm. masses of people formed. They formed in front, in front of Amy Comey Barrett, Coney Barrett's house. They have formed in front of Kavanaugh's house. These people are violating the law by doing that, by directing the protest at the justices on the private property of their homes and going against them. Luckily, the, the uh, federal marshal service has provided them with defense, but it's woefully inadequate. And it's just so disgraceful that both uh, Pelosi and Biden delayed for so long mm -hmm. in signing into law, a law that would allow them to be protected. And they're not even implementing that law. They signed it. They still have not implemented it. They still do not have protection. And I'm telling you, the risk to their lives is real. Oh, it's very real right now. And, and threats should be taken seriously and every, every effort. And what I would say is that if in, in Governor Yunkin, and uh, the you know the uh, governor of Maryland uh, ought to be independently acting to ensure that additional police are assigned specifically to around-the-clock duty uh, in defense of these justices. 
because the threats are real. And mm -hmm. if the federal government won't do it, the states should stand up. Could there be another ruling that uh, puts, a, a, let's say, a dagger in the hearts that they don't have of the left in this case about, you know, centralized bureaucracy controlled by the bureaucratic oligarchy, and in this case, the EPA? Uh, according to this article, there's a decision forthcoming related to uh, uh, it's a case called West Virginia versus EPA. Tell me about this and what might be happening here. So in this decision, the prospect exists. This will not be the end of the problem. This will be the start of the solution. And what I mean by that is that if the court acts as we hope it will and as it may, uh, in a in a 6-3 or a 5-4 majority decision, it's possible that the court will reserve to Congress important national questions for original uh, lawmaking, such that the agencies right now, under a professed uh, power within statutes, frequently expand their power beyond the, the limits of the statutory jurisdiction to address tangential issues and in effect create major new laws, in this case an Obama administration policy that, that caused some $80 billion a year of, of uh, uh, money to have to be spent to comply and thus had a massive impact on the economy. And this was done without any uh, action by Congress, but by executive order followed by administrative agency action. So if that is held to be unlawful, and it should, and the reason given is that only Congress may make the laws under Article 1, Section 1, and that the, the, the divining principle to be articulated is that any important question uh, of law first addressed by an agency violates the, violates the Constitution by usurping the legislative power, then uh, we will have from that important questions doctrine a fulsome uh, barrier to use against the administrative agencies and keeping them within their jurisdictional mandate. The solution, as you and I have talked about, is much more. Mm -hmm. We have to end the administrative state in America and return all power back to the branches that the, con that the Constitution invests with the power to make a law, execute law, and adjudicate law violations. Do you see this then, uh, if this ruling goes favorable in terms of uh, slapping down the EPA uh, in, in lawmaking as opposed to Congress doing it. Is this something that you could use in future uh, um, uh, court cases against the FDA yeah. and the FTC? Oh, you bet. Yeah, it'll be a very powerful tool. And I think that the justices well understand that, intend that. Um, if they go down this route, they will clearly wow. intend it. And, and there have been you know, considerable criticism of the administrative state and publications and decisions by these same justices almost without exception, almost all of them. Hmm. And um, so it's something that would be expected. If they do this, then this term will be the most consequential uh, defense of the Constitution that has taken place in recorded history. Uh, not to say that this will be the end of it. I think this court has proven itself to be courageous and to be willing to do whatever is necessary to protect the original meaning of the Constitution, if they continue in that vein, they will be historic. They will be, they will be lionized as true defenders of the founding fathers and of the principles of liberty that underlie the Constitution. They will be a savior of the republic. Uh, absolutely astonishing. 
what we're looking at potentially happening here. And you have been battling in the courts on behalf of folks that believe in freedom in terms of uh, engaging in commerce that is largely of great benefit to the people with good products and good services and things. And yet uh, restrictions on freedom of speech, restrictions on, uh, you know, entering into commerce products that compete with those that have curried favor through outright purchasing or other means of the control of the agencies, these uh, regulation regulatory agencies and completely subverting the will. If there ever was an intent by Congress to turn over its constitutional authority to an unelected bureaucracy to combine all three branches of government into one. Again, this is part of the loss of liberty that happens when we don't understand the distinct importance of paying attention to what was written down in the Constitution, the reasons for it, that if we didn't pay attention and we didn't limit government and restrict it and keep those checks and balances, we would end, end up in a state equivalent to the, the crown of England, like King George. Although King George would kill for the kind of power the federal government enjoys over the people and commerce in the United States today. I mean, it pales in comparison to what King George did in many ways. The founders of the administrative state, the people who brought us the administrative state in America wanted their nirvana would have been the day that would arrive when the administrative state made all law and the constitution had become an irrelevancy when the United States changed from a republic to a bureaucratic oligarchy in totality. And that day came so close in the history of this country, and we're still progressing in that direction. And to have a Supreme Court go in the other direction and consistently move in the other direction would be a salvation of the Constitution. It would bring back constitutional governance. It would bring back the system of checks and balances. It would make the people sovereign again because it would be their elected representatives who would make the laws and mm -hmm. would be accountable to them at the ballot box, whereas the bureaucrat is unelected and rules without accountability. And so we're coming into an age with this court that is going to bring back constitutional governance and the blessings that flow from that for individual rights protection and for a fair trial mm -hmm. for the right to a jury and to all the things denied by the administrative state is profound and it increases your value as a citizen. It increases your rights protection and it makes it more difficult for government to take away what you justly have earned. Uh, and it enables you to enjoy the full blessings of liberty, to have the freedom to do what you should be able to do in this country if you follow the constitution. Administrative state has skewed that. And I've watched over 37 years, I've watched innocent people who have good intentions, who made valuable products, some of which that saved lives, be, be prosecuted by the administrative state on bogus charges, mm -hmm. drummed up for political reasons by commissioners who were intent on changing the world in a direction that would satisfy the powers that be rather than the direction the American people wanted rather than what the law requires if you were honest in your adherence to it. And they didn't regard the Constitution as an obstacle one iota. They didn't care about it. All those decisions that I had against the FDA on First Amendment grounds, every one of those decisions, the First Amendment was a glaring, screaming uh, barrier to everything they did. They didn't care. They went right roughshod over it because they intended on achieving mm -hmm. their ends in defense of the major industry players, the drug industry, 
against any co company that was trying just simply to communicate the truth mm. about the health benefits of products as simple as folic acid, reducing the risk of neural tube defects. They caused many, many lives to be lost during the periods of censorship. And that's true to this day. That's true with COVID, what we see with COVID. I mean, we didn't have an opportunity to debate the vaccine. Now watch the consequences of having a vaccine that was never challenged seriously scientifically, not because there weren't such challenges, but because big tech and collusion with the government didn't want the message to come Suppressed out. Suppressed it and brutalized uh, what we say we appreciate in terms of freedom to speak and even controversial or especially controversial speech. And even though I would perceive our, our viewpoint and perspective on mRNA injections is not controversial, the dominant one that they've thrown on everybody without debate is the controversial and dangerous and perhaps deadly one. Uh, Jonathan, I'm encouraged by what's happening. You know, this is really a great discussion to say, as I point out, sometimes you have to be on the edge of losing everything you claimed to, you love to finally wake up and realize you have to do something about it to protect it, defend it, to regain it. Uh, the ground that we lost because we kind of took it for granted. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'll speak to myself in that regard, too. We have lived a cushy life in our generation. We have uh, received the blessings of liberty, but we've let them slip away in many ways and didn't know the things you've encountered, much of us throughout our young lives, uh, to see that you were battling in there against the oligarchy via the court system. And now we might have a Supreme Court ruling in a way that gives more uh, ammunition within the courts to strike down more and more unconstitutional power grabs by the oligarchy. We have a number of events coming up that will culminate with the Health Freedom Expo. Superdome, just real quick, let's show them up on the stage. I wish Jonathan would be at all of them, but I'll, I'll be at the Red Pill Expo this next coming weekend, if you will, July 9th and 10th after our Independence Day celebration. Uh, and that'll be in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'll be speaking there on reversing damage from COVID jabs and more, as well as emceeing the event. And that's uh, courtesy of G. Edward Griffin. And we got a lot of our friends will be there. The Health Solutions Symposium, we just added that. That's uh, the 15th of July. And that will be in, uh, well, Salt Lake City, basically, in Sandy at the community uh, college there. And that's uh, Defending Utah. And it's a health symposium, solution symposium. I'll be there as well for that. Uh, if we keep scrolling down, Super Don, we've got some online events. But here's the next one in Pittsburgh. Our good friend Jamie Dorley from Nutritional Frontiers. Uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, one of the smartest uh, scientists on the planet. Uh, Dr. Tracy Straub, Dr. Len, and Jamie and I will be talking about the journey of healthcare, interactive summit of leading health experts. And I'll be talking freedom, of course. Our friends at Autism One are carrying on. I'll be in the desert, Mesa, Arizona, uh, August 18th through the 21st. I hope to uh, you'll join me there. Uh, we've got the United States Health Freedom Congress, Diane Miller, coming back 13th of, uh, well, the 13th, it's not annual, but the 13th time, St. Paul, Minnesota, September 23rd and 24th. Then I got a big event in Orlando, the Wellness Parenting uh, Revolution, Health and Freedom Summit and Expo. Uh, thanks to Terry and Stu Warner, uh, good doctors of chiropractic. And that's the Hyatt Regency Orlando. And then, as I always culminate with the granddaddy of them all, the live Health Freedom Expo in person, Tinley Park outside of Chicago, where Jonathan and I will be celebrating together and uh, just enjoying each other's company as well as all y'all that join us there. Uh, and, and in addition, I just real quick, Jonathan, as we're mentioning the summer months, I know you're recovering from uh, uh, an injury that I'm, I'm pleased to hear it's going well. But if you're outside by the pool and if you're, you're if you're tatered by a lot of uh, bugs and things, we don't want to poison you. So uh, <laughs> our friends at uh, Orange Guard have made available the Orange Guard formula that actually went through all of the EPA garbage to get 
classified as a pesticide, yet so safe and clean, I sprayed some in my mouth on the air and lived to tell about it. Made from an orange peel, delimonene, and it's an amazing product. And kids and, and, and pets are harmed, not at all. Only the bugs that you don't want. OrangeGuard.com, check that out. So, Jonathan, wow. what an amazing celebration in advance of Adv- Independence Day this year. I really appreciate this discussion. I'm, I'm really uplifted by it, and I thank you. Well, I'm uplifted too, and I'm uplifted by the prospect that good things are ahead. We've been through a dark period. Mm -hmm. We've been through a period that has challenged liberty like we haven't seen in our lives. And now we are reacting to it. As you pointed out, once once liberty is taken from you, you realize how valuable it is, and that's what's happening. And I think the reaction is going to be very encouraging. I believe Americans love liberty, and I think they're going to rise up and show that at the ballot box. Time to step it up, y'all. Thank you, Jonathan E. Moore. Thank you all for being here. Another hour of broadcast healing coming up. And thanks uh, for the sacred fire of liberty and to acknowledge the history that got us here. Some good, some bad, but it all leads to making choices. And choice is one of the greatest gifts from God beyond just life itself. Choices, the freedom that we desire, and then acting on the freedom that we desire. And sometimes, as you say, it takes a loss of that to wake us up, to realize we've got to be diligent and vigilant in defense of liberty. Thank you, Jonathan. You bet, Robert. All right. Remember, the power to heal, even politically, is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show. I listen to get accurate, up-to-date information. I've learned so much from him. It is awesome. It's the best entertainment that I've found. You rock the health world. Keep it up. I love you. Now, the voice of health, freedom, and liberty, here's Robert Scott Bell. y'all we are back it's hour two uh, heading into the weekend with uh well super don of course but also you won't believe it i mean people are going i'm glad that michael bolden's not dissing the robert scott bell show today and he's not he's here michael bolden 10th amendment center oh <laughs> you can't escape hi i didn't realize you were here <laughs> <laughs> if i just had a fireplace behind me and a pipe then you'd be in all the way all the way in. listen <laughs> i'm was- excited to be here You've got the cool soundproofing going on there. I, I'm digging that. Yeah, with some more, I'm uh, dealing with audio reflection. And like, for example, these panels behind me are awesome. They're like a soft material and there's a big space behind it. And it actually allows the sound to get in the back. So then any echo kind of bounces back and forth and just gets diffused. If we want to geek out on totally. audio well, Michael quality. Bolden is the reason that we have a show practically the way it is, because he said, you need more room behind you. So I got all this room behind me so we don't hear any echoes at all. I don't have the acoustic paneling, but I do have the 1776 flag, which I always like. Um, but there is no one more responsible for the show outside you two guys than the Patreons. Yes, those that are supporting us directly have a great, great impact. It's true. It's huge. But- Isn't it amazing? I love that you guys have just been consistently like knocking that out, posting content like the lost episodes and stuff uh, has been just a gem. Yeah, it's amazing. And by the way, I, I shall uh, uh, remind folks that the 10th Amendment Center has a Patreon support uh, ability or, or let's say option as well. 
And, and we I, build our own actually internally. You do. I don't know what that means, but okay. I'm glad anybody's meaning. Me. I'm not trying to freak you out, but mm -hmm. we can't trust any centralized third party oh, systems. True. And so, um, Patreon, they've not been terrible on this stuff. Uh, but certainly if one were to get kicked off of there, it's a little bit more difficult. So we built our internal system. We can do basically the same kind of thing okay. uh, here. So, so that, so that, again, that, there's an expiration date potential for all of these support mechanisms that we've been hearing and seeing and witnessing and sometimes experiencing directly uh, suppression, uh, censorship, deplatforming, things like that. And that's been part of our discussion with you on and off the air, Michael. And now it oh, seems yeah. like, uh, it's been ramped up ever higher. Uh, and I don't know it's because the administration changed or the, the Congress changed a little bit, or it's just the, you know, we, we know the meet the old boss, same as the new boss, vice versa, but there is a, an overt concerted effort by much of the mainstream media, if we can call it that to censor thought. And they talk about unity and I think unity, they mean conformity. They mean unification of thought that you can only think about this and you're cool. You're in right. Until we change you our minds. You guys are old like <clears throat> you guys are old like me. You remember pre-internet? I mean, certainly this has been the kind of the process all along. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we just had three networks that literally couldn't say anything outside out of line because then they would lose their connection to White House informants or whatever. They wouldn't be allowed in for press briefings, so they wouldn't have access. They'd have mm -hmm. to kind of keep things in line. That was real, real control of of speech and of the marketplace over speech so even though and i i just like to always come with kind of a more of a positive spin on things we love I'm looking you at, for if that I zoom out <laughs> some people hate it but know, if you zoom out and you look at the big picture if we were looking at this like a financial graph let's say like in 1960 it's like the amount of free speech is all the way at the bottom left close to zero maybe 1980 because as you know the people could set up their own kind of local cable shows in the in the 80s and 90s it's a little bit better you're not and that then, old we, to know about that oh yeah uh, no, yeah, because I just I have it, a really good facial regimen, uh, but we're almost the same age, RSP. No, I mean, no, no, I don't chug not as much yet. silver as you do, so I probably will not live as long. But I'm I'm holding out hope. Look, you eat well, and when we get together, we eat even better. Uh, but you're talking just about a lot of it. Public access cable. It was something that yes. interesting left. I think it was part of the. I don't know if it was a law at the federal level or state level, but it was like if you're chartered as a public uh, like a cable provider. That at a certain point in time, I don't know if it's still true. That's where the the comedy of Wayne's World came out. That people could sure, have these. Sure, sure. That's where Alex Jones got his start. Was on public access TV. Mm -hmm. He would go in and he rolled in and he, you know, of course he's as bombastic as he's always been. But he would go in and he knew that like this was a medium. And even if you couldn't reach a lot of people, you could reach some rather than zero. And so now we have with the opening of the internet. I mean, it's not as open as it used to be, but certainly the amount of the ability for people to be able to just create a program, create content and reach people that they'd never see or find in their lives ever 
the 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 opportunity has been huge and as they try as they see this getting out of control they certainly want to kind of rein it back in but mm -hmm. even reining it back in it's still nowhere close as bad and as a closed society as it was when it was abc nbc and cbs and nothing more right. because they're still having to contend with backlash every time someone gets blasted off of a platform and the more that that happens the better now i don't want government to do anything about that because i actually think government has been the root cause of the problem all along. Many people seem to forget that before the so-called, um, what were the claims about Russian interference in the 2016 election? There wasn't a lot of this deplatforming happening across the major platforms, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or wherever. It really didn't happen until there was tons of government pressure bringing, rolling in old Zuckerberg and whether they worked a deal and Zuck was on, uh, on board in the first place or they pressured him. It really kind of spread quickly as a disease, like a cancer out of that. And we still hear today, there's literally saying things like, oh, should Fox News even exist? I mean, I don't like Fox News. I don't watch any establishment left or right media because I think it's all propaganda. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they give you a little bit of truth to hook you in, but then they, they give you a bunch of other garbage as well. So I don't want to ban those people. I think the solution to bad speech or speech that we disagree with is more of it. That's yes. the actual approach yeah. that we really need to take. So, but it's a mindset problem that people have. So are you calling us whiny libertarians or whining constitutionalists because we're like, we're at, under threat of being deplatformed? You know, we talked about. No, the you are. You're just honest. You are under threat of being deplatformed. <laughs> right. I can't it, believe we're still actually doing this, to right. be honest so, with you. So it, it, being paranoid, if you're really, there are people out to get you, it's not so bad it's just real right it's recognizing yeah i mean it sucks to have to live under that threat or to try to actually figure out your business model to work with it if that sucks that is not easy i don't i'm not in the same realm of danger as you are not even close because you're touching on the topics that they're going out of their way to say we don't want this spoken of and they're not saying that about me yet and the work that i do decentralization literally just talking about the constitution they may not like it they may want to uh, lower its impact but they're not trying to eliminate that yet. Certainly, we want to actually stand up for people that are getting kicked out. Okay, mm -hmm. I have to add a caveat. Sure. A lot of the people that cry censorship and deplatforming, they're not getting deplatformed for saying, I want less taxes and less government and I don't like gun control. A lot of them are pretty crappy people, but we have to actually defend the freedom of people that we don't agree with. Correct. Otherwise, we'll never have the freedom of our own. Thomas Paine specifically told us, he warned us about that. If you don't defend the people you disagree with, there will be no liberty left. I'm paraphrasing. I wish I had the quote right in front of no, me. No, no, it's Maybe good. It's a good one. And, I, and I've utilized it over the years as well because I believe it with every core of my, my being. And I've, I've told stories about long before I was doing what I do, there was something in me. Yeah, I don't know why that just said, man, I disagree with that dude, but I will honestly, I'll defend, I'll stand by you just to defend your right to say the stuff you want to say. I might not agree, but And it's okay. when they say crappy things, you either ignore them or you actually can respond and point out how bad they are. Now, mm -hmm. if a lot of people fall for bad propaganda, like neocon war propaganda against Iraq, the problem isn't the fact that people have an ability to speak. The problem is the government-run education system where people actually buy into this garbage in the first place. So we have a much deeper problem that we're facing than just uh, people saying dangerous things out mm -hmm. there. 
Well, I want to bring this uh, seeming elevation into it. I don't know how far or how much traction it's going to get with uh, the three branches of government supposedly under the control of Democrats. As we've said, and you've acknowledged, there's not a lot of difference between Republicans and Democrats of the establishment variety. We have occasional people that, that sneak through, a lot like Ron Paul over the years. And, you know, there's some good things coming from a few of them. But it, it, by and large, they all grow government. They believe government's the solution for every problem. And we acknowledge that's not what we believe here. And we'd like to see people look towards, as you said, decentralization. But now they're once again, I remember this in the 1990s, around the time of the Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing, where we had a lot of press that was targeting what they called sovereign citizens. And I said, I know the definition of those words. They're kind of an oxymoron. That, that, they, not the, and I tried to point these things out, but people just... That's awesome. I've actually never heard anyone refer to it. Do you want to explain to people why you say that? Because it makes sense to me. You can't, like, yeah. they don't work together. Well, I mean, you got to go back to origin, as we always try to do here, whether it be about healing. And, and I said, I set this hour up as political healing. And I don't know when, when I say that, do you recoil in horror? Or do you go, no, that's cool. I like that political healing. That feels good. Right. Uh, but it goes deep. I just had a nice lunch. So I feel <laughs> don't recoil. I wish I had lunch with you, my friend. Uh, but the, I, the idea, okay, going back to that point, there was a rising movement of people that said, you know what? The, the, the federal government doesn't have the authority to do what it does. I want to sever the tie. In other words, this concept, whether it be we'll talk nullification or whether it be uh, a declaration, if you will, to establish your identity in relation to political, uh, you know, uh, what we call entities. And, and so there was this a lot of people were studying the concept of what is known as sovereignty. Now, I remember back when Reagan uh, was in, there was talk of this stuff. Also, when Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor of California, he and we quote played his quote years ago about this, that he said, What's unique about America, what he loved about America is that sovereignty was with the people, not the government. Yeah. Right. And I thought, well, he's lost sight of that by far now. But there was certainly is that he was in government. Yeah. He became, you know, part of the problem. And, and so I, you know, began to look at that. You go into Black's Law Dictionary and understand the sovereign is the ultimate authority, like the queen, the king, the emperor, where you don't have to ask permission because you are in, you know, you're the king of your own. Uh, our good buddy, Dude. Michael. Badnarik wrote, wrote about that. You're you're really on it. The the yeah. best summary and all through history leading up to the uh to the the revolution, the war of secession or separation from the British Empire, sovereignty, as you said, was it, it sovereignty is always meant final authority, but that was always in just a single person's hands, like a king or a queen, maybe a small group of oligarchs. Of course. Uh, they talked about in the British system, the sovereignty of parliament. And that was part of the final authority. That's part of what really drove the transition where people recognize that really sovereignty doesn't come from them. They don't earn that just by their birthright or by being part of a government office or something. And Thomas Paine, again, he talked about this. He says power has to come. And I covered this on my own show this morning. Uh, Paine specifically said in the rights of man, this was in early 1791 when it was first published. He's talking in this section four, I think, on constitutions. He said power comes from one of two places. It's either delegated or assumed. All delegated power comes from the sovereign people. And this is good. This is a trust. All assumed power, anything outside of that is a usurpation. So a theft of power. St. George Tucker in 1803, he wrote the first systematic, this, the first like detailed legal overview of the Constitution. He called usurpation any exercise of power not delegated to a government in a constitution as 
treason against the sovereignty of the people. And under the American Constitution, that's the people of the several states. Hmm. Well, and I, to, to, to strengthen that concept, when we came back, as I mentioned, in the 1990s, when people were starting to go, I'm very uncomfortable about what's happening. There was a little bit of an awakening, I think, part and partial to the growth, a little bit of the Internet. It was still in its infancy there, but there oh, yeah. was communication happening. People were talking there were books being written and there was interest that was growing. And so there was con the, those people were considered a threat to the authoritarian power structure that the United States yeah. federal government had become. And many of the state agencies are operating in that realm too. And so they needed to vilify through their ability, through public relations campaigns, ownership of the media, or groups like the Southern poverty law center, which I believe you were on their list. A nice guy like yeah, Michael I'm Bolden. Why would he be on that <laughs> list? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the featured. Uh, well, they 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 have a page on me that they've had up for about eight years. I was uh, listed as one of the 30 rat leaders of the radical right in the hate wall. I mean, no one would ever call me a right winger who spent time with me, but I guess it. Uh, at some point, I was told that this is really a badge of honor because you don't catch flack unless you're over the target. So they had to throw out something. <laughs> well, and it's because I hang out with people who they think are bad. Uh, I hang out. I do things that they think are bad. I don't like the empire. I don't like the warfare state. I don't like the, the warfare state at home, mm -hmm. whether we're talking about the police state militarization of of from federal programs that shouldn't exist, handing out military hardware that was either used in Iraq or Afghanistan or elsewhere or made for use there. This is an act of a peace officer, but these are federal programs, federal grant programs that shouldn't exist. So they don't like that. They don't like that we oppose gun control. So uh, we, they don't like that we oppose Obamacare, and we still do. Unfortunately, most of the right actually just seem to have forgotten about that in their love affair with their cult of personality leader that was in office for a few years. But that's a bad choice to do something like that. George Washington in his farewell address, 1796, originally drafted by Madison in 1792 because Washington was going to leave after one turn. He specifically warned us about what we're living under today. That is uh, a a frightful despotism was what he called the idea of one faction against the other going after each other with a spirit of revenge. That was a frightful despotism. But he said it would become a permanent one because eventually what that leads to is the people of each faction seeking refuge in a powerful leader that would uh, give them the ruins of liberty in the long run. And I think that's how most people approach things today. They're so dedicated to a party or a person mm -hmm. that they forget about the principles. They can be, they were so dedicated, for example, to Trump. And many of the people who support Trump were opposed to massive national debt, massive spending, massive surveillance, war, gun control. But we either got the same amount or more with Trump than we did on all of those things under Obama, who may have been the worst in history up to that point on all of those issues. So you can't think of things in terms of party or person. We have to focus more on principle. I hope people learn that from what has happened in the last few years and how it will get worse in the next four. Ooh, take a deep breath. All right. Michael Bolden is our uh, guest. Those of you truth who isn't always awesome, but it heals. No, listen, it's important. And, and I love going back into history with you and, and others uh, that we do. Uh, as, as mentioned, uh, Jonathan Emord has a new book out called The Authoritarians. Going back to the 1830s, he talks about the progressivist movement based on Hegel, the idea that was just referenced even prior to Hegel of uh, two factions. And that's the thesis 
antithesis and synthesis, that idea of problem, reaction, solution. And I've said it, we've been played. We are being played constantly because we abandoned principle for the cult of personality. I said there are no political saviors. And, right. you know, look, we, we talk about these people and we say, well, we like this. We don't like that about the, but not to worship them and to acknowledge there's a bigger problem than any one man or woman in office. And now we find and out that th- problem is power. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, even though like whether you supported the Constitution at the time of ratification or opposed it, the problem and the debate, the concern was that there could be too much power. And even those who were actually in support of the Constitution, they just didn't think, well, we're not giving them too much power because the people will be well learned and the people will resist them. James Iredell, who was the third person appointed to the Supreme Court as an associate justice by George Washington, he specifically said he told the North Carolina ratifying convention, he said, look, when the government usurps power, the people will resist them. They thought that the at least at that time, it was expected that people would resist. We saw that happen in response to the whiskey tax. That certainly was a resistance. We saw it in response to the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798, where Jefferson and Madison worked to establish or actually not establish, but formalize the principles of interposition and nullification by the people of the states in response. But it was expected. But over time, and I think a big part of this has been government schooling, we aren't we aren't taught that what we're supposed to do is actually resist, resist. violations of the Constitution. Instead, we're taught that we're supposed to go to the federal government to fix problems created by the, by federal, the federal government, government. through federal yeah. politicians, federal elections, federal courts. But this is like, and as our great friend Tom Woods has often said, he often said, says, like, if you go to a federal court to fix a problem created by the federal government, this is like going to your mother-in-law to adjudicate a divorce proceeding. This is not a fair game. And not you a good can't plan. keep going to the feds to fix problems that almost always are created by the feds in the first place. All right. We're talking with Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center. Links are up. You can directly uh, click on that big banner that says the Constitution. Every issue, every time. No exceptions. No excuses. Another famous thing that I see a pop up from time to time, less Democrat, less Republican, more Constitution. Laura in the chat room says, love listening to Michael Bolden. Anyone know his background and how he came to do what he does? Well, Michael, I guess it's time to revisit that journey for new folks. My background, are we talking about uh, acoustic, the acoustic paneling? No, no. I think <laughs> she's going deeper into you, baby. All you, baby. First of all, Laura. Thank you. That's pretty awesome. I, you know, whether you like what I have to say or not, my goal is to at least get you to think. And I encourage people to actually think differently than what we normally do. And what most people do is think in terms of team A versus t- team B. And I want to break through that, you know, whether you agree with me on this stuff or not. And really, it's not even me because I'm just repeating the wisdom of the founders. I'm just a mouthpiece for what they had to say. Uh, whether you agree with George Washington, for example, that uh, the party system, the idea of faction fighting with faction is going to lead to a permanent despotism, whether he was prophetic or not, that's your call. I think he certainly was. Uh, but where, where, where am I even going with this? First of all, awesome. Thank you for the kind words. Oh, my background, right? Uh, I'm a, a product of government school, so I grew up a, a good heel-clicking Marxist, like almost everybody. It's really just unfortunate. But as Abigail Adams, and one of the greatest founding mothers ever, she had a, a letter to her son, John Quincy, sometime in the 1820s. She said, learning is not attained by chance. We actually have to seek it. 
and look for it and actually spend time and energy on it. Unfortunately, even in this age of information, a lot of people have it really easy. We've had it really easy. And they, I don't think a lot of people have felt a threat to their way of life. And my, again, positive spin on what we're talking about and what we face today and going forward in the future, that is the largest government in the history of the planet and not even close. The U.S. government, the land of the free, spends almost eight times the amount as the communist Chinese government does every single year. So there's no one defeating socialism in Washington, D.C. They are the worst socialists on the planet planet in history. So um, I don't know, where am I going? My Oh, that went learning. Background. We have to actually learn. So that's what yeah. we're doing here. RSB, you do this six days a week. I'm doing it not six days At a week by three, video, right? but in various ways, we all have to learn. And there are people who are hungry for more information. If I can come out, I used to literally tell people, they would ask me, dude, who did you vote for? And I remember it was like, I was waiting in line while the, the Chad situation, well, what year was that? That was Bush Gore, right? Right, yeah, 1999, 2000. 2000. I'm in a gas station picking up something and everybody, before they could pay, the guy was making them tell them, who did you vote for? And every person would say something and there's a whole crowd of people and I'm like, well, if Marx were running, I would have voted for him. <laughs> and I was serious wow. because I was dumb. But I... <laughs> I was that dumb at that point in my life. I mean, I was born in 72, so I wasn't just a baby still. If I was that stupid and I could break out of that, anybody can. Well, the old dog knew tricks. You can. And, of course, there had to be some level of a wake-up in your life, Michael Bolden. That yeah, for me, it was the war in Iraq. Yeah. And, of course, coming from, as you acknowledge, a kind of a left, what's well, considered a modern leftist perspective, uh, to the point where... You're looking at everything, I think, more objectively by far because you annoy and anger everybody. Not here in this crowd. I think they love you. They really love you. But well, hopefully the, I piss somebody off because if I right. was once told by someone much wiser than me, yeah. if you're not pissing everybody off, you're not telling the truth. Yes. No, that's true. And we, so someone's got to get a little irritated once in a while. As much as I strive not to anger people, I recognize, <laughs> yes, there are people that are angry with the things we do here, but uh, they don't like wanna... some algorithm at YouTube is probably pretty mad at you. <laughs> right. And the thing, you know, it's funny because here we, we joke about this, like you can be deplatformed or as we lost a, a week of time on YouTube specifically, we're still able to be up yep. on other things and we're back. But it was because they said we disagree with the WHO. Well, what happens now? Do we get that week back now that the WHO agrees with me rsb like the things i've been saying suddenly they revert oh yeah yeah what robert was been saying yeah that's right but we don't get that week back that's kind of kind of bummer if you disagree with anything the who has said at any point in time in history you could be up for a ban yeah it's probably how it'll play out it's really unfortunate and I actually, I really believe that a lot of this is coming from government pressure. There's calls to break up technology companies. And if you're running that company and you're trying to be the richest person on earth and that's your goal, I mean, let's pretend that they're all not bad guys. We can just, some of them probably are, some of them probably aren't. Some of them are just business people. Some of them are like deep state CIA operatives. Who knows who's who? I do not. And I don't claim to have that kind of information. If I did, you should not trust me because that I'd be too connected to, to be trustworthy. 
But like if you're running a business and you've got the largest empire in the history of the world saying you need to clamp down on this, this, this. Look at this on the Patriot Act. If you have anything here that might be illegal, we may have to clamp down on what you can do. They do this to banks, financial transactions. I mean, how many times? I don't know if you well, you probably don't deal with it like I do with banking. But I had my Bank of America account three, four years ago frozen because of some Patriot Act garbage where they had to do some kind of review of something. And uh, luckily I got through that. I had not signed some extra document or something that I had missed. And that's the federal government pressuring them to actually close people off. And I think a lot of that has happened with a lot of the technology platforms. Some of them are very willing accomplices like AT&T, for example. They had been partnering with the NSA to spy on everybody for a long time. We know that in San Francisco, there's a whole floor of an AT&T building that really is just a server center for the NSA. So some of them are actually part of this whole problem. Some of them are drawn into it. Some of them don't like it. I don't know who's who, and maybe we'll figure it out over time. Well, decentralized should be the word of every day. And I think a lot of people oh, yeah. are, are coming to that conclusion. And I think it's because of, well, the disillusionment that I went through many years ago that people now, you know, in fact, many Trump supporters waking up, not everybody, right? That they saw what happened. They said, whoa, you know, the media I thought was on my side was never on your side. It was a game. It was no. a ruse. It was propagandistic. It was manipulative. It was Hegelian. It was the dialectic playing out. And so every time it gets a little more uncomfortable, a little less comfortable, somebody says, Ooh, I don't like that. I got to now explore yes. or move from that position. And my experience in life was with healing. I was uncomfortable in my body, ill from the time I was zero almost to the time I was 24 when I was finally ready to open up to another form of healing that I began to apply my diet shift and all of that. And so I've applied the principles I learned in healing and, in, you know, dare I say it in a spiritual way that said, you know what, if we apply those principles everywhere, and that was your point too, Michael, the principles, it's about the principles, not about, you know, the politician is so much or the parties that if we're there, we cannot be swayed easily or if at all. Because we're grounded in them. But if we're not, it's easy to sway us. It's easy to tell us something. And we go, oh, that sounds good. We roll with that. And we neglect and negate the reality that you pointed out, the uncomfortable reality for those of our audience that are really loving Trump. He spent as much or more than Obama did before him. And Let me throw it out there to really hammer it home. Trump had more added to the national debt in four years than Obama did in eight. And gun Trump control. did more gun control three years in a row than anyone in history. And Obama was a terrible gun grabber. But when we look back in history, can you imagine? I mean, you live through Bill Clinton. Can you imagine calling Bill Clinton a small government guy? <laughs> I mean, any of us who lived through that hell of the 90s with him yeah. in comparison to, you know, somebody who came in running on a, a platform of a, a humble foreign policy, George Bush, only to be outdone by Obama, only to be outdone by Trump, only to be outdone most likely by mm. Biden. I generally make one prediction. I did a little bit more recently. But I generally make one prediction around every election cycle, and that is something that comes true every single time. No matter who you vote for, the federal government will be larger and more invasive and more costly than it was today in four years. And that's really played out every, every single term since uh, shortly after World War II. Unfortunately, you're batting a, small a thousand. Dip. Yeah, you're batting a Small a dip, but yeah. if you zoom out, the overall trend is always it's larger always yeah. and more expansive until it can't or until you won't folks. 
And that's the empowerment principle here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And, and it's all about the Tenth Amendment. It's I bring it up from time to time, the Rosa Parks moments. We need them every day, folks. We're going to take a break, Michael. Thank you for being here with us. And, and please a stay. Break. Please stay. Yeah, yeah, I got to take a break because oh, yeah, we... I want you to get enough Patreon supporters so you can get one of these to protect yourself from the harmful Wi-Fi and crazy 5G of L.A. So I'm just encouraging people go to can that Amendment. actually with the amount of it here. Can that really Tenthamendmentcenter.com. Y'all like check five it out. of them. <laughs> All right, folks, we got it. We got Michael Bolden in the house. We are having a good time here despite talking about some very serious topics. And yes, he says the American government will collapse with a smile on his face. Not because he's happy about that bigger. Well, we want decentralization. We want the freedom of the people. We want the sovereignty of the people to be acknowledged and lived again. And we're going to do that when we come back. Also talking about the threats to even libertarians. They want to deprogram us. Really? Yeah, CNN's reporting on it. We'll talk about that when we come back as well. Take a look, get the key technology, and we'll be back in just a moment. Those people that we just showed in the U.S. Capitol, how do you begin to deprogram them? So that's what I do for a living, and family members contact me, and I've written books, I've done videotapes, I've done courses to educate the family, because it's the family, friends, and former members that once we educate them, we coach them on how to interact and empower the person to start thinking for themselves. Here are your tips, how to help free someone from the cult of Trump, you say, always act with respect, kindness, and warmth. Avoid conflict or harshness. Keep the dialogue open and civil. Be collaborative rather than competitive. Don't get angry. Don't tell them. Help them make their own discoveries. That all makes sense, but it sounds like you're saying it has to be done one at a time. There are millions of people who believe that the election was rigged. Yeah, no, we're going to need a top-down approach in terms of, I mean, if Congress would like me to come and testify and people can grill me, Republicans and Democrats can ask me, I can bring my colleagues along. But the bottom line is people who have love and respect for the actual members, they're the ones who will have the power to de-radicalize and help them recover because we're going to have a huge need for recovery. Now, that cult expert we just witnessed on CNN uh, was talking about, oh, we, we need to do a top-down approach, right? Because it's one of the things the, the CNN host said, well, it sounds like what you're saying to deprogram people from the cult. In this case, we're talking about the cult of Trump. But as we heard John Brennan talking even about libertarians needing to be deprogrammed, um, she said, well, it sounds like you have to do that one-on-one. He says, no, 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 we can do it in mass. We can do it top, it's top-down approach, Michael Bolden. And Super Don really got... I'm not going to say triggered because he's not a snowflake in that sense. But but I noticed Don was like, dude, they said libertarians for deprogramming. What's going on? How serious is this? How do you what do you see going on here with this? Because, again, it's not the first time. The thing that got me was the, the list that they went down. Right. It was like, well, racists and bigots and, uh, you know, Satanists. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what, I don't think they had Satanists in there. But, I mean, they had like this list of all these these, you know, these people that even we would be like, no, we're not into bigots and racists and and you know white supremacists and stuff like that. But then at the end of it, he's like, oh, and and even libertarians. And I'm like, how do you include libertarians in in that group and and keep a straight face, you know? Because I what, what's the one of these? It's, it's Brennan, it's CIA, that guy. But but this is someone who's saying that we're all in a cult. And granted, well, again, we talked about this. What's with Michael. the deprogramming process that they're recommending? 
Well, they talked about how to approach people. Don't tell them. Be gentle. It's kind of subterfuge, sneaky. We want to sneak in. And you know, the thing is, Michael, we've been seeing this. What's that? Interventions. But we've seen this with they're all struggling. How do we how do we stop these anti-vaxxers? How do we get through? I mean, it's the same scenario. They look at us as like, we'll tell you why we don't want to get vaccinated. They're all going, what is it with them? We can't look. Just listen to us. And I think it's the same thing with people who are lean libertarian, whatever that is. And that's there's so many varieties of it uh, unless you go to dictionary definition. So we're left with do they really concern themselves with what we think? No, they just want a monolithic thought form. Unity is conformity unanimity in thought and again this is what we're i don't know if we say we're up against but i mean it's a it's a reality of what we're seeing coming through the new media the new administration whatever as they say unity it's orwellian this isn't new though this is the type of thing that we've dealt with for a long long time uh i mean we talked about my profile at the southern poverty law center they have a list where they just list a bunch of people i'm not just on a list that literally is a full profile that they sent in their hate watch that goes out to all law enforcement federal and state that actually is on their list years ago so this type of stuff happens so there's two things that pop into my head and this is just kind of off the cuff here as i'm thinking about this in general what propaganda or propagandists that I see they are very, very good at is throwing out some truth and then using a little spin to include people that don't belong there. So I actually think it's good to approach people with empathy. I don't like racists, right? I mean, I don't. I don't want to hang out with them. I think their viewpoint on uh like whether they think one person is better or they want to only associate with people based on how they look or things that they were born with. I mean, that's just garbage to me. I hope that goes to the dustbin of history. But on the one hand, it is good to think about this with empathy. I don't know the history of somebody. I want to lead by example and try to be a good person. So that to me is a positive thing. But then you take something that I think a lot of people will agree with and then say, well, we also have to do this with this, 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 and this, and libertarians. And then that is a really good piece of propaganda in my mind, because you're taking something that pe- you get people to nod their head. There's mm-hmm. probably classes in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on board with this. I'm on board. And then once they're hooked in, then you throw in some other stuff. And maybe you're not going to hook in on everybody to do have the same approach or the same mentality towards all the other groups of people that you're talking about. But you'll get some. There's a trickle and maybe mm-hmm. there's a floodgate open. And to me, that's very dangerous because you're mixing truth with garbage. So what can we do to reinitiate the concept of critical thinking to teach people, (laughs) kids, much less adults? As you said, you were lost and you were found and you were an adult already. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. There's not a lot of (laughs) critical thinking. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. I don't know if I have an answer to that. I think, again, we just... We're facing something that isn't going to change in the short term. And I think having... um, unrealistic expectations pushes people towards extreme activity like okay we just need to have this guy win this election and everything will be great i mean in 2015 i can't tell you the amount of times that we were told by supposed allies people that we had like actually connected with for years at the 10th amendment center you don't need to worry about this nullification thing just support this guy for president and you don't have to worry about surveillance you don't have to worry about gun control asset forfeiture wars it's obamacare it's all gone 
all gone. And I, even the candidate wasn't saying that at that extreme level. But people have this belief that it has to be done now rather than recognizing when you're taking a stand against the largest government in the history of the world. The best that I think we can hope for is to lead by example, think critically, show people what we're doing and hope that some of them will rally to the cause because, you know, a collapse is not a positive thing. And out of most collapses in history come a horrible dictator like a Mao or a Stalin or a Lenin or something like that. That's not something to sit around and wait for. We have to take action and set the foundation so maybe generations in the future can learn from our example. I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I just that's just my personal kind of my mantra, my belief, what kind of keeps me going uh, in the face of something that's probably insurmountable in my lifetime. Yeah, we have uh, a perspective here about how do we reduce uh if we call it the risk or the potential for harm considering what yeah. is playing out right now and yeah you, you know we we mentioned the freedom cells right john bush connected us with i think you, you yeah. might have learned more since last time we talked and i do want to cover that topic again i literally just watch from conscious resistance network uh derek bros has a channel uh, primarily like on Odyssey and Library, odyssey.com, lbry.tv. He works with John Bush on Freedom Cells, but he was talking about this just in a couple of videos this week as well. It's really great stuff. It's just the idea of, well, just helping each other, coming up with systems outside of the centralized control system, whether it's communication, food, and the like, healthcare, et cetera. Yeah. But go on. I'm sorry. No, th th that was good. I, and we'll revisit that. But I think the trend is a recognition of that. And and it, it's thousands of years of recorded history of disasters occurring on this planet, whether they be considered natural yeah. disasters or artificial disasters caused by emperors and, and, and authoritarians, whatever we call it. And, it, you know, it, it would be something that I'd say is common sense to say, yeah, well, that's pretty responsible to prepare for or have uh, a means by which you can interact when a centralized scenario collapses. Or it becomes so untenable that, you, you know, you can't continue. And I've said also that I don't think we're under an obligation to feed and clothe and enrich our captors or enslavers. You know, I think uh, there's a moral responsibility to say, you know, who was it that talked about? I think it was MLK even talked about if a law is unjust. MLK, he was yeah. quoting St. Saint, Saint Augustine. We have a moral Dis, uh, duty to disobey unjust, unjust laws. laws. This yeah. is the same thing uh, that the founders said. I mean, James Iredelli said when uh, when the government usurps power, the people will resist. Patrick Henry, in his response to the Stamp Act, he said when they enact laws that are supposed to be done by our own colonial legislature, the people are not bound to obey. So this is a mentality that has gone on long through history and it's generally comes from i don't really know where the principle of subsidiary comes from but it is from a christian uh uh kind of background so that's where that really kind of built where it's like these people are irresponsible for this but when they kind of uh, invade a line of power or authority in this area, the more local one, you're not supposed to just go along with it because every time you obey that, there's no reason for them to change. So as long as people keep acting, and I hear this a lot from the gun rights community, which is actually pretty unfortunate. They're always talking about how we're trying to support law-abiding citizens. Well, honestly, as long as everyone remains law-abiding, why would they ever get rid of it? All that's going to do is encourage them to pass a new law. Every new restriction. Well, now I'm law-abiding on this gun. Well, I can only have don't eight abide, rounds now. Don't, yeah, don't abide by a law that is unconscionable and uh, amoral and uh, yeah. unjust. 
it's tough because it comes with risk and every person and every person has to actually kind of assess the risk that they want to take in their own life. But what mm -hmm. is, there is no greater risk than complying, than submitting on our knees to anything and everything that government tells us. And I think uh, that's something we have to keep in mind. All right. We have a question from Ben. Do you see that Super Don? Ben R put a question in for Michael Bolden. I think I mm -hmm. dropped it in there for you. If you can read that. And this goes to something we covered. And I think you were in the audience at one point. We had our buddy Anu on, who's very technically savvy talking about. Oh, yeah, that was a really cool episode. Platform that jumping, really hopping cool. and trying to establish an ISP or something else. And I think it goes yeah, yeah, along. Yeah. If you don't mind, we'll switch gears and talk about this because I think that's part of sure. the decentralization again. How do we maintain communication in an increasingly uh, threatening environment for our type of communication? So uh, yes. what's, what is uh, Ben asking there, Superdon? Ben says or asks, how much does it cost or would it cost approximately to build your own small scale live stream capacity, uh, according to Michael, to scale up how to research this? Oh, man. Well, I guess it depends. I mean, you could. Are we talking about having our own web host? How deep does that go? Because there's so many different areas where we're talking about. Can you start with just a webcam? Like I've got a hundred dollar logic. Well, this is like two hundred bucks. Uh, Logitech webcam, another two hundred dollar microphone in front of me, two hundred dollars worth of sound. I mean, it depends. Lights and all that stuff. You want to like have like gear to be able to do stuff. You need a camera. You need a way to get it into your computer. You need a way to connect to the platforms. But then, of course, the question is, how can you get your information out there that isn't going to be taken down? And that's always gets down to decentralized platforms. There really aren't anyone doing this live streaming right now. Uh, Library.tv and Odyssey was scheduled to do a first kind of large scale test. They are a censorship resistant, decentralized platform. Literally something that's posted on there, even if they wanted to take it down, couldn't be it works a little bit like if you remember the old like LimeWire and what was the napster and stuff like that kind of like that where you have bits and pieces of the information on tens of thousands of computers around the world and there's no way to like figure out where they're all coming from so that's like really important but i think we also have to what were you saying super d it's like a peer-to-peer -peer torrent type Similar, similar, but actually more decentralized than that. Uh, and then we also have to start thinking about, I've actually been thinking about this as well. Mm -hmm. How do I browse the internet without going through the internet? I mean, the internet itself, when we go to HTTP or HTTPS is really what we should be doing secure. If we're going to HTTP colon forward slash forward slash robertscottbell.com, we're on like a second or third layer of the internet. This is something that has great centralized control from the DNS. Really, the Robert Scott Bell show, robertscottbell.com, robertscottbell.com isn't where that sits according to the internet. It's like a number, like 19.224. And the DNS, the domain name server, is a centralized control system that tells when you type that into your browser, which is run by a centralized company that can take you off to tell them to actually resolve this host. So we need decentralized domain name servers. We need decentralized web hosting. We need decentralized in everything. Because if you have a single point of failure, then government or bad actors in the marketplace can target that single point of failure and take people down. Now, as far as like doing a live stream, it's very difficult. If you're just archiving video, there's a number of platforms that I recommend. Uh, BitChute is really good as far as that's more like peer to peer. 
uploading your videos to bitshoot.com. It's not always really stable, but library.tv, odyssey.com are the same kind of uh, backbone there. And there's, of course, Mike Adams' brighteon.com. There's Gab. I My organization, 10th Amendment Center, we just set up a premium account at Gab because even though I don't personally like a lot of the content I find over there, I like the mentality of the dude, Andrew Torba, who's running it, who's saying like, look, I'm, they say, if you don't like the way that uh, big tech does things, build your own. So that's what he's doing. He's building his entire infrastructure, back-end infrastructure. So, I mean, you're still looking at a centralized system. So if Torba decides he doesn't like me, he could take me down. We have to rely on him being honest regarding that. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm really even answering Dude, the question, no, but yeah, hopefully I think this is are. interesting info. Yeah, yeah, this is helpful. And Super Don, do you have anything to add? Or I know we just got contacted uh, by our friends with... Uh, uh, Let's talk America, Alan Keys, mm-hmm. and they they want us to simulcast like uh, once or twice a month, at least one hour of our show, like would be the fourth hour, of, and they're actually going live through Brighteon. And I thought, okay, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, but but cool. I come to find out that they have set up their own um, video streaming, and they're sending it through Brighteon. That's set up, but it's not actually Mike Adams and Brighteon doing it. They are doing, it, which costs money, obviously a lot of money. Uh, we talked about some of the daunting uh, challenges in that regard, but uh, I know a lot of people are thinking about it. every time we talk about it, people are, yeah, we need to know more so that we can move that direction because I think there's nobody under the illusion that we're not vulnerable. None of us are eventually yes. at this point. So uh, the we- the Brave browser just this week, I uh, Brave is my preferred browser over Chrome and yeah. Firefox and Safari. I use Brave. It's more privacy oriented. It's not perfect, but they are the first browser to natively integrate what's called IPFS. It's the interplanetary file system. It is a decentralized way of hosting websites. It's in its very early stages, but basically instead of going to HTTP colon robertscottbell.com, you would go to IPFS, whatever the address is, and it would take you there. And it they natively at Brave can actually resolve websites that are hosted on IPFS, which is decentralized and uncensorable, at least at this stage of the game. I can't imagine, at least from my understanding of the technology, how they could do it. And Anu basically was saying the same thing. Like, look, I mean, the odds of them being able to figure out how to take something down like this is just so extreme. It's mathematically possible, but mm. almost. But our, our technology that we're using, that you use for your broadcast and we're using the Wirecast, I don't think it works well with these other alternative browsers, does it? Well, why wouldn't it? I don't know, but you know how we've determined like when guests connect to us like you are right now, that it seems to be more stable, unfortunately, through the Google Chrome browser. And I don't know if that's the way they program the Wirecast thing or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're actually, these are two totally different things that we're talking about here then. Uh, I'm just talking about resolving a web page. So like if you have an article posted, that article isn't actually hosted on a central server. Mm -hmm. That article is literally, let's say like, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, one 1,000th of the images is hosted in Estonia. Mm -hmm. Another thousandth of it is in South Carolina. Another thousandth of it is in Buenos Aires. There's no way, just even for that one image, there's no way for them to actually do that calculation and bring it down. So that in and of itself. Now, as far as live streaming, uh, I think that is going to be something if Odyssey and library.tv can actually get this stable, and I haven't followed what they've done with their tests, but they were saying just last week that they're planning on doing some 
public testing and a larger scale, like okay. 5,000 plus concurrent viewers is what they were going for. Uh, if they can do this through a decentralized platform, then we're talking about live video that can be embedded in any website, whatever, like whatever kind you want. Mm -hmm. And then there's, unless okay. your ISP is going to turn you off at home, you're good. All right. Well, listen, we're out of time for the live show we're going to continue live with bonus time michael is sarah coming home or do you have time to hang out for a few more minutes sarah is always home she works from home too. i'm teasing we love her we want to see her too but you want if you want to stick around we'll find out it'll be a surprise we'll find out if michael bolden sticks with us for a little bonus time in the meantime uh it's been great i want to thank you michael as always and also thank sally banks from trinity school of natural health yes big hugs and I can't wait to get together in real, in real, for reals, beyond just the electronic interface we get to do from time to time. So with that, Power to Heal is yours. Back in a moment. We'll cut the feed in a bit and then come back. Stick with us. A lot more to come.